Lord, we praise you and thank you for your amazing grace. As we've been looking at and as we know and as we've heard so many times, Lord, we didn't deserve anything and yet you came down, gave your life for us so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have a life that is truly the abundant life in you. And that is grace and grace alone, the gift that you have given to us even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our unbelief, yet, Lord, you have showed us grace. And, Lord, we praise and thank you uh, this morning for that grace. And I pray as we look to your word that you would help us see how we can take practical steps to not only experience this grace and believe in this grace, but, Lord, proclaim this grace. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as you guys have noticed, uh, I'm a little under the weather. I've been all week, but that's beautiful because that means, as always, God will be speaking and not me. So I hope you listen to God's word today. Um, and I want to say uh, that, yeah, uh, I said, told a few people it might be hard to preach 40 minutes with my nose constantly filling, but uh, somebody said, well, then don't worry about it. Just go short. So... Um, <laughs> I know, you guys haven't had that luxury in a while. Uh, We'll see where we go today. But I'm really excited about our topic for today. Uh, You know, we've been going through the book of Colossians. We've been looking at the Christ-centered life. We've been looking at Christ being the superior one. Um, And today, we're going to take a look at a subject. As many of you have already looked in the bulletin, you might know where we're going. But we're going to be looking at a subject that I believe is uh, very related to what we've been looking at in Colossians. And actually, as some of you have already seen, we're actually going to start our time in Colossians in just a few minutes, uh, because we're going to look at what Colossians had to say to us, but then I want to kind of dovetail into what we're going to be talking about today. And what we're going to be talking about today is baptism. There's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of uh, questions in today's world about baptism. What is it all about? Why do we do it? It's been a while since we've filled our baptismal tank and had people back there, and so some of you may have not even seen it at our church yet, and there's lots of questions, because there's lots of things that different churches do and believe about baptism, and, uh, and we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that today, what it looks like to be baptized, why we are baptized, um, and then I'm going to encourage us as a body uh, not only to, to be baptized if you need to be baptized, but also that we would be preaching the gospel so that others would be being baptized. And so we're going to talk about baptism today, and I know the temptation will be, because I've been in those seats before, if you've already been baptized, you feel like I'm just going to sit back, relax, take a nap. All right? Um, John McDermott, I'm going to be watching you wherever you are. I know you said that you like to sleep during my sermons. Um, But um, this is not a time for you to sit back and just assume that this is not for you. Here's the thing. As we talk about baptism... Uh, there's going to be a couple applications for everybody. Maybe if you have already been baptized, you understand what baptism is all about, but maybe today you can listen and you can understand a little bit more about what, it's, what it is, the history of baptism, uh, what those scriptures tell us about baptism, and you can then teach others and help others to understand the importance of baptism 
And I hope that you can do that. And also, as I just said, maybe it's not even just as much that as it is realizing that the command to baptize is not just for those who need to be baptized, but it's for those who are teaching others, who are, le- who are making disciples of all nations, as we'll look at in Matthew chapter 28. Before we start getting, we go to the scripture, you know, I just want you to think a little bit. Uh, the, the, the title of today's sermon is Show Me Your ID. Um, and this is the question I want to pose to everybody, and you don't have to answer me out loud because it's kind of rhetorical, but um, does your driver's license, your passport, your military ID, or any other identification that you might have, if you have those, and you have those on you, does that make you who you are? That's the question we're going to ask. Does, does the fact that I have a driver's license that I can show to people to say, hey, I'm Kenneth Shutt, uh, and, and yes, Kenneth, if you didn't know that, um, uh, um, is that card who I am? And the answer is obviously no. That card is a piece of plastic. Right? It's not who I am. It doesn't have anything to do with anything other than it has a really crummy picture of me and it's got my name and my birthday. Alright? So it says a few things. It might even have a picture of me on it, but it is not who I am. I am so much more than a piece of plastic and yet sometimes our government looks at that piece of plastic as though that is who we are, right? Um, our IDs don't determine who we are, but it is a physical way to display and to declare who we are. If you're going to cross the border to go up to Niagara Falls or go wherever you're going to go, or maybe you're going on a mission trip and you have your passport, whatever it might be, they ask to see your ID, your passport, or if you're going to Canada, they have an enhanced license, whatever it might be. And you've got to show that to them so that they can prove that you are who you say you are. And if you don't have that ID, you can run into problems, right? Uh, you, you, think, you think about that. You also think maybe, you know, going to the store. I've got a cold now. They've started carding people to buy cold medicine, right? So, like, I go up and it's kind of flattering. I need to see your card. Well, you really think I'm that young. That's great. All right, so I show them my card and they say, okay, you're old enough to buy this cold medicine, right? And and so we need to have that card. Even though I am 32 and that card does not make me 32, they're not going to let me buy that cold medicine if I don't have that card with me. Maybe it's uh, the bank uh, or uh, if if it's in your car when you have if you have an accident or you get a ticket, not that any of you would ever get a ticket for anything, uh, but if you were to, the, the policeman is going to ask for your ID. He wants to see who you are. And, and so here's the thing. Our, even though our IDs, our identification, uh, I was thinking about this with Veterans Day, and I was trying to think maybe I can make a play for that, but you know, I don't, I'm not a veteran, but if you're a veteran, you have your veteran ID, right, that shows that you were in the military, and you get discounts at a lot of places, which I think is great. And by the way, thank you again for your service. And the thing is, though, you're a veteran whether or not you have that card on you, right? I mean, you have served in a war, you have served in the military, you have served our country, whether or not you have a card to show somebody or not. And you are a veteran, you are a hero, you you are a veteran, and it doesn't matter that you have that card, and yet so many places would want you to see that card. And the same thing is true in any identification that we talk about. I will always be Ken Shutt, but people won't know that for sure unless I have an ID to show them that. And here's the thing. As we talk about baptism today, I want to I go back to Colossians because we're going to talk about identity again. Remember, we talked about the fact that if we have come to know Christ, that our identity has changed and we are no longer living for ourselves, but in, in, instead our identity is in Christ. And here's the thing. If we are identified in Christ and that is true of us, Nothing can change that. But just like I need an ID to show who I am, we also have a way in our Christian lives 
to display and declare our identity in Christ. Just like that, that ID that I would have would display who I am, it would also declare who I am. So we have something in Christianity, something that God has instituted, that is the way that we can show our identity in Christ, and that indeed is baptism. So I hope today, by the time we're done together, that you will see baptism as an important, not, not a absolute requirement for salvation, and yet something vitally important that we have in our lives. And you might be having a lot of questions about that. What does that look like? What does that mean? And that's what we're going to look at. And I would say that this is not just my opinion. I believe that the Bible is clear that baptism is an important, and actually not only an important, but also an assumed way, an assumed way to identify who we are in Christ. As you look through Scripture, you don't see Christians, it's interesting, and we'll talk about this as we go on, you don't see a lot of, many times, if any, Christians that are not baptized. It just kind of goes hand in hand, that if you are who you say you are in Christ, then you will show that to the world, that you will declare and that you will uh, display who you are in Christ. But let's start in Colossians. So, as I said, we finished Colossians, but there was a passage that we looked at as we talked about identity in Christ, and I've already got ahead of myself a little bit, but I want to read from Colossians to show you from Scripture that indeed our identity has changed, and therefore, as we look at our identity change, that will lead us into what baptism is all about. So if you've had questions about baptism, this is where we start. Colossians chapter 3 Verses 1 through 11, we've been here several times, but please listen to these words. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all in all. And if you remember when we were in Colossians chapter 3 in this passage, we looked at the idea that our old life is gone, that we have traded our old life away, our life of selfish living, and instead have exchanged it for a new life. And we're told here at the beginning of chapter 3 that we have been raised with Christ, and so our lives have been changed. We've been, we were dead in sin, we were dead in the old way of life, and yet now we have been raised again to new life in Christ. And we'll get to this a little later, but baptism is a picture of this. When we go under the water, we're dying to ourselves. When we come out, we are being risen again with Christ to a new life. And so Colossians 3, 1 through 11 reminds us of our new identity in Christ. We have a new identity in Christ. And as I said earlier, and this is where I got ahead of myself, if we have that identity, then we have a way to display it as well. That is not something just to hoard within ourselves and to know that we have an identity in Christ, that we have been changed, that we are new, and we know that in our hearts, but there is a way to, dis- to display that. There is a way to, to, to declare that. There is a way to let people know, and there is a way to show 
the fact that our identity is indeed in Christ. And that's where we go to Romans chapter 6. And I know we're going to be dancing around Scripture here, and I hope you can keep up with me as we go through some of these passages But the Bible is so full of information about baptism and it is so full of showing us how important it is that we're going to have to look at the gamut of the New Testament. So we're in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Listen carefully to what Paul writes here to the Roman church. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now here when we talk about baptism, we're going to see in a minute that baptism, really the word means immersion. And this is talking about our immersion into Christ, that we are completely surrounded by Christ. But there is also this allusion to the fact that there is this baptism that is a great example and this baptism that is a prime way to show our identity in Christ. It talks about baptism that says we have died with Christ. We have died to our sin, our old life. And now he says we have been raised to new life here in verse 4, that we might walk in newness of life, that in baptism we show our death and we also show our resurrection. And so this passage goes great with the passage in Colossians. It's still talking about our identity. It's still talking about putting away our old way of life and walking in newness of life, a new life that Christ has given us. And then it gives us this extra piece that talks about the baptism that we experience. And so what, through water baptism, we are picturing the immersion that we've had into Christ. We are picturing the fact that we have died to our sin and are alive to Christ. So baptism is the way that we display this identity. So Colossians 3 reminds us of our new identity. Romans 6 reminds us that baptism is a way that we can display our identity, to show our identity, really as a form of our ID, if you will. And so today we're going to look at a couple things. We're going to see that history and the scriptures will help us to understand baptism better. History and the scriptures will help us to understand baptism. So we've talked about the idea that we have a new identity and that baptism shows that new identity. But let's take some time to look at what baptism is, where it came from, why we do it, and then at the end, I'll be able to really challenge you and ask you if baptism is what you need to be doing. All right, so our historical background is where we're going to start. Some of you like history. You're going to be excited about this portion. Some of you are like, forget history. Please stay awake. Here we go. We're going to look at the historical background of baptism. Because in order to understand why we do it today in in our Christian life, we need to understand the historical basis. Uh, And the first thing I want to talk about is the word baptism itself. And many of you already know this. And if you had baptism class here, you know this for sure. You've been taught it. But some of you might not quite understand this. And I already mentioned it. But the word baptism literally means to dunk, dip, or immerse. To dunk, dip, or immerse in, in liquid, in water, yes, but the idea of this word is to dunk, to dip, or to immerse, to completely put under a liquid, to completely do that. And so we have the word baptism, but see, that is a word that we just have adopted as, as a word without even really thinking about what it really means. 
And so therefore we've had a lot of people that have misunderstood baptism because they don't understand it as a dunking or an immersing. They understand it maybe as a sprinkling or a pouring or those type of things. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But it is immersion. It is The word baptism itself means you're going under and you're coming out. That's the point of immersion. Um, this is used to describe a few things in history. If you look at the way it was used even before Christ's time, sometimes that would, it would indicate a complete washing. Like you've been completely washed. You went under the water. It's, there, there's no part of you that is not clean any longer. It's about completion. It's about a completion of a washing. You were baptized. You were completely immersed and you were completely clean. That was used in, in, uh, in history. So it used to, it was used to describe a complete washing. It was also used to describe dyeing a garment, uh, a garment like, you know, you had a shirt and you wanted to make it purple, so you would make a dye, and you would put the dye in this vat, and then you would dip the garment all the way down into the dye, let it sit there for a while, let it get the dye into the, into the material, you'd pull it out, and then it would be a new color. It was going from one old garment to a new garment. It was the idea, for sure, of completely submerging, completely immersing something into the dye, and it would come out. So those are some historical ways that it was used. These are going to help us understand, then, when Paul and others in Scripture are using the word baptism, what the idea is that they're trying to get across. And I think part of it is, as you see this idea, it's complete, it's an immersion, it is a dipping, it is a complete uh, going under and coming out. And this not only applies to the actual act of going in physical water, but it actually talks about a relationship with Christ that we're all in. That part of us doesn't stay out, but that we're all in Christ. And then we also see in uh, Jewish life, uh, they actually had this ritual. They had this ritual before we see it in the New Testament. You, you see, a lot of times we think this was a new thing that just got started with G- John the Baptist and then Jesus and it just kind of went from there. But actually, there's historical uh, basis that the Jewish religion, the Jewish people used baptism even before John the Baptist and Jesus come along. And what they used it for was for Gentile converts. If someone like you or I who weren't a Jewish person wanted to become part of the Jewish faith, we wanted to believe in, in Yahweh God, we wanted to believe in Jehovah, we would go and we would have to go through some rites of passage. You know, obviously many of you know one that would be uh, required if you wanted to become Jewish, and that's circumcision, and that one you would have to go through. But they also did baptism. And the baptism was this idea. This is what they did it for. It was a ceremonial washing. It was a ceremonial washing done as a rite of passage. Actually, in some of the uh, historical manuscripts that you'll see, the Jewish people would actually strip completely down, nothing on, and and to show, go under the water, come up, and they would show that everything is gone, everything is changed, that they are no longer a Gentile, that they are no longer identified as a Gentile, but instead they're identified as Jewish, that they are identified as a follower of Jehovah, and that was the point. It was ceremonial. It was a big deal. It was something you had to do in order to go from Gentile to a Jewish convert. And also, what, this, what I just talked about is true. It symbolized the washing away of the old life and embracing the new life of Judaism. It, that's what it, that was what it was for. They did it to show that, yes, I am giving up my Gentile life. I am giving up my unbelief. And instead, I'm going to believe in the God of Israel. And that was a, that was a historical thing that was done. And so when John the Baptist comes along, it's not the first time we see baptism. It had already been happening, and it had a very real meaning. And the very real meaning of baptism, even before Jesus, 
was that it was the symbol of the old life passing away and the new life becoming who we are. It was an act of identity even before the New Testament comes along. It was an act of showing identity. And so that doesn't change as we go on and look at baptism as John comes on the scene and then we see Jesus and his disciples. And then, of course, we're going to look at all the books of the book of Acts as we see so many examples of baptism. And we're going to understand then what the Christian baptism is all about, why we do it, what it's there for. And we're going to try to do this quickly because I do have a lot to get to and I don't want to keep you too long and I don't know how long my voice will hold out. But we are going to go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. This is one of the first instances we see of baptism in the New Testament. It's uh, being done by a guy named John. He's become actually pretty famous for baptism. Uh, his name becomes John the Baptist. And so we're going to look at John the Baptist. He's Jesus' cousin. He was called to, to herald the way of the, of the Messiah, that God chose him to be the one to say the Messiah is coming. And we, we could look at a whole study of who John the Baptist was, but one of the things that John the Baptist did, obviously was he baptized. And so we're going to look at this passage where we see John baptizing and eventually Jesus himself being baptized. And so Matthew 3, 1 through 17. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who spoken of the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and in the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear, and, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I will tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry." He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In winnowing, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized him. John would have, not, would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so for now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness." Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to the rest to rest on him. And behold, a voice of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Many of us know this story. It's the baptism of Jesus, and we see even beforehand what John has been doing, what his baptism is all about. Now, I will say in this passage, if we had time, we could really break this apart. There's lots of things we could talk about, but what I want to focus on is what, was, what baptism was all about for John, what it was pointing to, what the point was. And so we're going to look at three things real quickly out of this passage. Uh, John baptized to display confession and repentance. Verse 6 says that when they came to be baptized, they were confessing their sins. Verse 11 says specifically, I baptize you with, you with water for repentance. John was baptizing to, dis to display confession and repentance. 
Obviously, confession and repentance is something that you do that is something inside of you that you're able to respond to God in a very real way. And yet, baptism was John's way of identifying that repentance and confession. Now, that was an interesting point as we see that this is something that was an inward thing happening that was being shown in an outward way. The baptism, what was, the baptism itself wasn't causing people to be washed of their sins. What John says is it's the confession and the repentance that he was showing through baptism. And these are people who have realized that their life is, they're not living their life in honor of God the way they should be. And that they need to change, that they need to turn around and live for God. But then the other interesting thing about John's baptism is John baptized not only to display confession and repentance, but John baptized to declare the coming Messiah. Verses 11 and 12 says, He who is coming is mightier than I. And he's pointing out that, yes, I'm baptizing in repentance, I'm baptizing for confession, but the one who's coming, he's the one that's going to save. He's the one that's going to give true hope. He's the one that's going to give true baptism. He's the one that he's pointing to. And so through his baptism, he's not only displaying confession and repentance, but he's declaring that the Messiah is coming, that Jesus is coming. And so we see baptism as being a way to display and to declare, to display what was happening and to declare who was coming, to declare the Savior. And we see the same thing happening here as as Jesus comes to John. We see that John baptized Jesus to identify Jesus as the Messiah. Not only did Jesus, so John is baptizing, he's baptizing, he's saying, you're confessing your sins, you're repenting of your sins, I'm pointing you to Jesus. Then Jesus comes to him and John says, I'm not going to baptize you, I don't, you should be baptizing me. Because there's no repentance or confession of sin for Jesus to have to make. But then Jesus says something, he says, no, look, you're going to baptize me because it's going to fulfill all righteousness. And then we see this beautiful picture where Jesus is baptized. He comes out of the water and we see the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. And we see, we hear the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. A picture we see of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all one, all relating to one another. And we see that beautiful picture. And what is seen here? God is saying, God the Father is saying with his own voice, this is my beloved son. He is validating Jesus. As the Messiah. Jesus is being identified here as the Messiah. He's fulfilling all righteousness. He is showing himself to be the righteous one. That repentance and confession aren't enough, but it's through Christ and his righteousness. But we see in all of this, when John is baptizing, it's to display, it's to declare, and it's to identify Jesus. And as we move on and we see baptism being used throughout the rest of the New Testament, even today, we see the truth is still there. That through baptism, uh, we display what God is doing in our life. We declare who he is and we identify the Messiah. Not that we identify ourselves as Jesus did, but we would identify him. So that's a little bit of background with John. Like I said, we could stay here for a while, but we're going to move on. We've got a lot to get to. Because then we see that Jesus and his disciples are also baptizing people. And we're going to go over to the book of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3. And we're going to look at this happening, starting in verse 22. Okay? Uh, John three twenty-two, and we're going to look at through the beginning of chapter 4. John three twenty two. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. 
John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because the water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was, uh, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. He who comes from above and he who comes from above is above all, and who of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way, for he comes from heaven and is above all. He bears witness of to what has been seen and heard, and yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, and for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given him all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. We see a historical fact here that Jesus and his disciples were baptizing people. So what are some things we can see about Jesus' baptism? Well, we see that it's compared with John's baptism, right? You've got John's followers that are saying, hey, this dude over here, he's baptizing, and more people are going to him than they're coming to us. And John basically says, good, that's how it should be. Let them go. They should be. Follow Jesus. He's the Messiah. I am simply the one here to tell about him. And so we see that Jesus, with his disciples, gives a greater baptism than John's. A greater baptism. Uh, is you, as we go over, uh, I want to look at one other verse in we, as we talk about this, that Jesus with his disciples are giving a greater baptism than John's. John's followers needed to be baptized into the name of Christ. Christ was the one to be baptized into. No longer just repentance and confession. That's great that they see their sin, that they confess their sin, that they repent of their sin. But even greater than that, they need to be baptized to identify with Jesus. Not just to identify the fact that they are changing from sin to living a righteous life, but now they are looking to identify themselves with the righteous one himself, Jesus Christ. And we have another picture of that in the book of Acts, so I want to turn there just quickly. Uh, In the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 4 through 5, we see this pictured again. We see John's disciples again are coming into the scene, and they've been a little, they're a little confused. All right, so we see in Acts 19, 4 through 5. And Paul is, is coming across these men who have been following John. And actually going back to verse 3, and he said, into what, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we see here another instance in which baptism is happening and this baptism that Jesus and now Paul is offering in the name of Jesus Christ is a greater baptism. It is more than just saying no to our sin, but it is saying yes to Jesus and that that is going to show their faith in the righteous one. 
And that is what they do, the name, the identity of Jesus. Remember, it's not just they're being baptized and saying, I'm being baptized in Jesus. No, it's in his name. It's in his identity. It's in who he is. And they're identifying themselves with Jesus. So we see baptism in the name of Jesus should display and declare Jesus. That baptism is done to display and to declare Jesus himself. That we need to know that that is what baptism is all about. Baptism is not about us. Baptism is not showing uh, how good we are. Baptism is not somehow giving us any extra grace or any help. No, baptism is done for and through Christ. To show Christ as the righteous one. To show him as the one who has changed our identity. That is what baptism is all about. And so if you've wondered why we baptize, we don't baptize just to get wet. We don't baptize just to somehow have a prideful expression of our good lives. We are baptized to show Jesus, to display and declare him to all those who see. So what we're going to do now, and we're going to try to do this quickly, we're going to go through the book of Acts. We're going to look at some different, different passages from Acts. They'll be quick. We're going to see instances of baptism. And we're going to see what that looked like, and we're going to follow a few principles as we look through these stories. And we're going to start in the book of Acts, verse, or chapter 2, starting in verse 38. And the first thing we're going to see, in the, this is the early church's baptism. So we've seen John baptizing, Jesus and his disciples are baptizing, and now we see that the early church was baptizing as people were coming to know Jesus. And so we're going to look at that, and we're going to do a quick run-through of the book of Acts as we look at these different areas in which baptism was done. But the first thing we see in the early church is that baptism was preached. Not only was it done, but it was also preached. We see Peter here is preaching in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. In verse 38, we see the preaching of Peter. And this is after the Holy Spirit has come and given them power to come and preach the gospel. And that's what Peter is doing. And in verse 38, this is what he says. And so he just finished giving the whole story of Jesus, the whole story of how he's the Messiah that they have killed as he's talking to the Jewish people. And then we get to this point in verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, Talk about church growth here. We see 3,000 people coming to know Jesus in one day from one sermon. Uh, Incredible, right? 3,000 souls are saved. But what is said in this, Peter specifically says that you need to to repent and be baptized. Now, that might create some question in your mind. So does that mean that how to be saved is through repentance and through baptism? Here's what I'm going to say. Belief will result in repentance. They're part of the same coin. As you truly believe, we've talked about this, if you believe in Jesus, it'll change the way you live. And here's the thing. Baptism is the thing that is asked of us to do as a direct result of our salvation. And where do I get that? Well, if we go on and look at the end of this passage, what does it say? It says, those who received his word 
were baptized. They received the word. They received the gospel, and then they were baptized. What Peter is saying here, it's interesting, actually, if you look at the Greek here, and this is somewhat speculation, but it also could be this. When it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, that word for, that is an interesting preposition in Greek, because that word for can mean a whole host of different things. But one of the things that it's used many times for is to denote because of. Instead of for, like, you know, you can use for in a couple different ways, right? Even our word for. Uh, you know, I, I did this for somebody or I did this for the benefit. Like, there's just different ways to use it. And the same thing is, you can use for as because of. So because of. So if you look at it that way, I think this is a really great way to translate this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because forgiveness is being offered... And because we need to believe in that forgiveness, we will follow it up with repentance and we will follow it up with baptism. Now, here's what I want to say. Identifying with Christ is not what saves us. Sorry, identifying with Christ is what saves us, not going under the water, right? Being identified in Christ, coming to him in faith, receiving the gospel, that is what saves us. When we come to God and we realize that Jesus was sent to this earth because we were sinners with no hope and we were destined to hell and our relationship with God was completely broken and God sends Jesus, Jesus, God himself comes to the earth, lives a perfect life. And then because he doesn't have to pay for any sin, he can pay for ours. And he does that on the cross. He dies. He, he, he dies a horrible death on the cross for you, for me, so that he could take the penalty of our sin, so that he could take everything on him because he was the sinless one. And he did that. And he died for us. And he rose again. And he says, all you need to do is have faith in me. Trust in my sacrifice. Trust in who I am. Embrace me and you can be saved. That is salvation. Salvation comes as we call upon Christ, not as we go underwater. And yet, baptism is seen here as extremely, extremely important. That we don't neglect baptism. You see, here's the thing in the New Testament, and we're going to see this as we go through that a believer is baptized. That's what happens. It was a natural progression. If you came to know Jesus, you got baptized. It's just what you did. You know those commercials that are out there now that are about uh, Geico, I think it is, like saving 15% is just what you do. You know, and it gives somebody's doing something. It's just what they do, and they're kind of funny. Well, you could have one that would say a Christian who's sitting there being baptized and say being baptized is just what Christians do. That is what it is. We ident- As we identify Christ inwardly, it's a natural natural progression then to identify with him outwardly. And so we see that baptism and belief were so interconnected in that day. When you believed you were baptized, they were so hooked to one another, it was just natural for you to do. Now we have lost some of that in our society today. And there's lots of reasons for that. We, would, we can talk all about that because we want to make sure that the people who are being baptized are actually saved. And there's lots of good reasons. But I think we've lost the understanding of how important baptism is and how it is natural for us to go through the waters of baptism to show our identity in Christ. And in that day in Acts, when you believed, when you were baptized, what you did, you declared to everybody, I believe in Jesus and I'm different. And trust me, as we go through Acts, that's going to become a bigger and bigger thing. People didn't just believe 
and not be baptized. Because the thing is, if you believed, you were baptized, and then immediately you were marked for persecution as we go through the early church. So if you were baptized, you were saying, look, I'm sold out. There's no question here. I'm not holding anything back. I'm being baptized. People are going to see, and people are going to know who I'm, who I'm living for. And that's, that may cost me my life, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to identify with my Lord, and that's what they did. That's how important it was to them. I feel like it should be just as important to us. It doesn't save, but it should be important. All right, so we see repentance and baptism is commanded here. It's a command. Notice that Peter does say, repent and be baptized. He doesn't say, repent, get saved, think about it, and then get baptized. No, he says, repent and be baptized, and that is something we need to do as Christians. It is a point of obedience, that we obey Jesus through being baptized. All right, so I hope I got that clear, because that can, that can get pretty muddy. All right. So, now we're going to look at some ideas of the baptism being practiced throughout the book of Acts. We're going to start in Acts chapter 8, and like I said, we're going to try to cruise through this pretty quickly. Acts chapter 8, verse 12, says this. But when they believed... But when they believed Philip as he preached good news, the gospel, about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. All right, so we see a truth here, right? We see, first of all, that Philip preaches good news and the kingdom of God, and they hear that, they understand that, and then they are baptized, right? We see that happening, and it says both men and women. This wasn't just for men, but I do want to draw something out here. Uh, first of all, we notice baptism after the message. The message is preached, and then baptism follows. But we also see here that men and women are the ones being, being baptized. I'm going to take a quick rabbit trail because there's a question about this. Uh, we don't see babies being baptized. This is men and women. These are men and women who come to know Jesus and then are baptized. These are not babies who are baptized just to, as a safety precaution. Okay? Now, here's, there are a lot of churches out there, Catholic, Protestant alike, that baptize babies. That, you know, they sprinkle, they pour, whatever it might be. And, and uh, I am not here to say that all churches everywhere who have ever done this are in sin and need to be torn down. But what I am saying is it's not biblical. That baptizing babies does nothing. It is getting a baby wet. If you've had a baby and you've given them a bath, it's about the same thing. You've gotten a baby wet, but it doesn't do anything for salvation. Baptism isn't an act that Jesus said, do this to a baby so that you're saved. So where did this come from? Why do, we, why do some churches baptize babies? That's a good question, right? Where did that come from? It's not in the Bible. So where do we get it from? Well, as we look at history, we look at Christian history real quick. This is fascinating to me, so I'm going to share it with you. Um, so the history of infant baptism goes back to the time of Constantine. Now, many of you probably know the name Constantine, right? He was, uh, he was a, an emperor of the Roman Empire, right? And he was converted to Christianity-ish, right? So he, he comes to believe in Jesus, or at least assent to the fact that he believes in Jesus, right? And, and all of a sudden, the Roman Empire, something crazy happened. Whereas Christians were being persecuted, 
and being, I mean, really persecuted, killed for their faith, all these different things in the Roman world, Constantine comes to know uh, Christianity and he decides that he's going to make Christianity the official uh, the official uh, religion of Rome, right? And so uh, all of a sudden you go from being persecuted now to being accepted, and not only accepted, but actually you're the ones that people are looking to because now you're part of the mainstream of society. Now as an aside to this, I think this is one of the things that Satan really, really used to convince a lot of people who weren't really saved that they were. This is where we see Roman Catholicism coming out and we see all these different uh, beliefs that are more based on uh, uh, on your nationality or more based on your works than it is on Jesus himself. But in this process, Constantine, he, he converts to Christianity of some form of it, and, and he decides then that since Rome is a Christian nation, that every baby needs to be christened. You know what christened means? To be made Christian. Now, you seen a problem with this? Because I don't think people can make people Christians, right? Jesus... Uh, is the one that we go to to become a Christian. And so Constantine says, look, all babies, they need to be baptized. So we're going we're gonna to throw water on them and we're going to say that that christens them, that makes them Christian. Because in Rome, here's the deal, if you were born a Roman, you were born a Christian. It's just the way it was. In that time, very similar to what in our culture, there was a period of time where a lot of people really, if they were born into America, the Christian nation, that meant they were set. And you would talk to people and ask them if they're a Christian, and they'd say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I was born in America. And you'd say, but do you know Jesus? Well, yeah, I know who he is. And they would miss the point, but the same thing was happening in the Roman society. And so what starts happening is all these babies are being christened, they're being baptized, and all of a sudden it's in the churches, it's snuck in, and it's just like that. All of a sudden, now this guy who decided that you could make a baby Christian Now there's this tradition that has been set that somehow if we pour some water on a baby, if we sprinkle some water on a baby, that they become a Christian and are therefore safe. That is not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we come to Jesus in faith and repentance and we know him and then we are baptized to show our identity in him. That is what baptism is. So this led to some leaders in the church to look at baptism as a means of earning grace. They started saying, okay, if we can baptize babies and make them Christians, then even adults can be baptized and become Christians. And so they started looking at ways, if we get people to, to get baptized, then they're good, they're saved. It's, it's one of those things they need to do to be saved. So where it started was with babies, now all of a sudden there are leaders in the church, leaders in, that are saying, look, baptism is what saves you. And that's where we get to today when we just talked about it. That baptism is not what saves us. Jesus is who saves us. But baptism is where we show our allegiance, where we show our identity to Christ. And so I hope that helps you understand where that came from, why there are so many churches that A, baptize babies, and B, say that baptism is necessary for salvation. It goes back all the way to Constantine when he said that being a Roman means you're a Christian and therefore we're going to make you Christian. That's not how it works. Let's quickly keep going as we look at the rest of Acts. Uh, chapter 8, we're still there. Verse 38, we see this happening in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. If you know the story of this, Philip is, uh, the eunuch is driving along, and, and uh, uh, Philip is talking to him, and he sees that he's been reading Scripture, and he starts telling them about Isaiah and telling him about Jesus. And then the, the eunuch wants to accept Jesus. He says, what's stopping me from being baptized? And they just stop, and he's baptized. 
Once again, a converted believer now immediately goes to be baptized. Uh, then we see in chapter 9, uh, verse uh, 18, uh, chapter 9, 18, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. This is talking about Paul, and he regained his sight. Then he rose, and he was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. You know the story of Paul. He's on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. Jesus shows up, blinds him, says, I am the one you've been persecuting, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul understands that Jesus is Lord. He's found, and he's, he's, he, he, but he's made blind. So he's found uh, by some early Christians. Ananias finds him, right? And, and he brings him, he says, Brother Saul, uh, I, I'm here to help you regain your sight. So he prays for Paul that his, his sight is regained. And after this, then he gets baptized. Even Paul at this time understood as a Jewish citizen what baptism meant. It meant identifying with Jesus. And so Paul is saved and then he gets baptized. He mentions this in chapter 22, verse 16 as well. Actually, uh, somebody told him, and said, why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized. And that is our key verse for today that we'll look at as we end. But we see that Paul was baptized after believing. Uh, in chapter 10, as we continue on through Acts, chapter 10, verses 47 through 48. Um, so we see Peter comes and he sees that... Uh, he sees that there are Gentiles that have received the Holy Spirit that are, that are really have that are Christians, Gentiles who have received Jesus. And then Peter says in verse forty-seven, "Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have?" And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. A group of Gentiles who had come to know Jesus already, who understood God, who were saved and yet weren't baptized, and then. Peter says, be baptized. So there's this difference we see again. They're fi- believed and they're filled and then they're baptized. We see Lydia in chapter 16. Literally, Lydia in chapter 16, a wealthy person who comes to know Jesus in chapter 16, verses 14 through 15. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and say, stay. And she prevailed upon us. We see Lydia here. She is saved. She's understanding. She is a person who is a worshiper of God. The Lord opens her heart. She hears what Paul is saying about the gospel, and then she is baptized. We see the Philippian jailer in chapter 16. Many of you know this passage because it's a very famous passage that a lot of people have memorized. But in Acts chapter 16, uh, we see verses 30 through 34. And this is what we read here. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and all were in his house. And he took it the same hour and night and washed their wounds. And he baptized them at once, or he was baptized at once, and he had he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before him. So, what we see here, well, the, the question is asked what do I do to be saved? What does Paul say? What, what do they say here? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Notice he doesn't say there, believe in the Lord Jesus, be baptized, and you will be saved. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. So we see that belief in Jesus, committing our lives to him, is where salvation is found, but then it's followed up again by baptism. That 
the jailer and his family come to know Jesus, and then they're baptized. And finally, the last one we're going to look at here in Acts is in chapter 18. Chapter 18, verse 8. It says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And also many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Once again, we see Crispus' family and the Corinthians, that they believed first, but then followed it up immediately with baptism. That baptism was not what saved them, but baptism was what followed their salvation. So with all that we've looked at today, I have a few minutes to close up here. Principles for baptism for today. We've already looked at it, so I'm not going to talk about it too much more, but baptism is not what saves us, Jesus is. Baptism is not what saves us, Jesus is who saves us. We come to him in faith, and then we follow it up with baptism, but that is not what saves us. If you want a definition of baptism here in letter B, baptism is an outward demonstration of an inward transformation. I found that somewhere that's not an original to me. I'm not sure who it was, though. An outward demonstration of an inward transformation. So that's what we're doing. We're showing our identity that we already have. And the next principle, we should be baptized, right? We looked at that. We should be baptized. If you haven't, you should be. If you know Jesus, if you've believed in Jesus, you should be baptized. Why? Well, we should follow the example of Christ and other Christians. We've already looked at that. Christ himself was baptized. Christians were baptized to show their identity, and therefore so should we. So follow the example of Christ. We also see that God says we should. Acts 2.38, we already looked at that. Repent and be baptized. It's a command. We need to be baptized as a result of our salvation. Matthew 28.19-20, many of you know this passage. This is the last passage we're going to today. But Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' last command to his followers were to make disciples and do what? Baptize them. And so we see that as they are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are baptized in the identity of God, the identity of Christ, the identity of the Holy Spirit, that they become a disciple as they are baptized to show their identity. And so we see that not only is it the example, but God says we should. And listen to this. We can't be baptizing people if people aren't being baptized. You say, what does that mean? Well, this passage says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But if nobody's being baptized, then we can't baptize. So I'm saying this, that you need to be baptized so that others can baptize you. And here's the last principle I want to look at, especially for those of you who have already been baptized, and that's this. We should be baptizing. Back to Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Not only are we called to be baptized to show our identity in Christ, but we are called as a church to be baptizing people. What does that mean? Well, it goes back to making disciples. It means teaching people about Jesus. It means leading people to Jesus. It means saying, if you know Jesus and you've found your identity in him, then you need to be baptized and you need to show your identity in him. That is our calling as Christians. We need to be discipling others to bring them to a place where they can find and declare their identity in Christ. 
So that leads me to our final questions of the morning. First of all, have you come to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Before you worry about baptism, the first thing you need to think about, the first thing you need to understand is what we talked about earlier about who Jesus is and what he has done. And have you come to him? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the fact that he lived a perfect life, that he died for your sins, that he rose again to give you hope, and that he's waiting for you just to come to him in faith and believe in him and commit your life to Jesus? Have you done that? And if you have not, make today the day you do that. Wait no longer. Second question, have you, been, have you based your, spiritually on the, your spirituality on the outward act of baptism? Maybe you're here today and you have thought that you are all good with God, that you are right with God and everything is good with him because you've been baptized. Maybe as a baby, maybe as a child, maybe even as an adult. And you look at your life and say, well, I'm all good. I'm good with God. I'm all set. I don't need anything else. I've been baptized. I've run into so many people that have said that they're Christian simply because they were baptized as a baby in a church. That does not make you a Christian. Once again, you need to come to Christ, understand the gospel, and run to him and commit your life to him. And if you've done that, then that's this last question. If you know Jesus, if you know who Jesus is and you've trusted in Jesus, what is keeping you from declaring that identity through baptism? What is keeping you from declaring that identity? And so a key verse that I want to leave you with, and I want you to apply it to your life, if you have not been, if you have not been baptized and yet you are saved, Acts 22.16. And now, why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized. Here's the thing. If you today are feeling and knowing that you need to follow Jesus through baptism, that you are saved and you know you are, but you want to declare that, you want to display that, we are going to have a baptism service sometime in the, in the month of December. Uh, we're going to look at some dates. But we will have a class. We'll have everything you're going to need so that we can get anybody here who wants to be baptized, baptized. And we need to do that. It's our, it's our calling as a church to baptize people. So don't wait any longer. Don't wait for the right time. Don't wait to clean up your life enough so you feel clean enough to be able to be baptized. That's not what this is about. It's about if you know Jesus, broken and all, even if you're broken and you're still struggling and yet you know him and you're identified by him, then you need to show that through baptism. Don't wait any longer. Do not delay. Get up and be baptized. And that is my call and my hope for all of you. And so if any of you would like to be baptized, please talk to myself, another elder too, Uh, As long as we know, we'll get you plugged in, we'll figure it out, we'll get it done. Because it's important for you to declare and display the identity that Christ has given to you. With all that being said, I hope you...